Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 48 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angela. Now, first things first, Angela, let's discuss some cool stuff. We are not alone tonight, as uh, is sometimes the case. Yeah, we have somebody here. That's the wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, without further ado, uh, guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I will be referred to as guest all night. Uh, <laughs> Mr. X, as it were. There you go. Yeah, that's actually appropriate for tonight's episode. <laughs> Um, hey guys, it's uh, TJ from Pints and Puzzles and Future Notes from the Attic. Oh yeah, we're going to get into that. Oh yeah. But first things first, TJ, Happy New Year. Actually, I'm going to scratch Happy New Year today and say congratulations to your co-host, Brian. Oh, a real life twist right here. Yeah, I think that's way more appropriate right now is that, uh, I don't know if we're sharing that on the podcast, but... <laughs> We could. I mean, it's it's up on my socials, right? So yeah, I I got engaged this week. I uh, this last weekend. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you, dude. Thank you. Congrats, buddy. That's awesome. This is the first uh, podcast. Congrats, I got. So thanks, guys. It's gonna make the rounds. Way better than Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. But you, uh, <laughs> the big joke was that Angela would wish you Happy New Year, and we'd see where that goes because usually I'm the person to do it, and, and uh, it annoys him to such a degree that it was kind of interesting for him to agree to this one. And it's funny because I was thinking of beating you both to the punch, but that so it's funny that we kind of all were on the same page there. Like a weird Mexican standoff. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> that or we're we're all brainwashed <laughs> after reading show prep for tonight's episode. <laughs> oh my god. Well we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh first things first, TJ, I'm kinda curious about the origins of your uh, main podcast gig, which is the Pints and Puzzles podcast. I'm sort of curious about the inception, the idea behind it, how you structured it, and sort of like where you're gonna take it from here on out. Uh, so you can really start anywhere you want about talking about yourself. It's funny because that's like a real official reporter type question. And I have like such an unofficial answer for that, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like basically so when I was coming up, I was on another podcast, which we won't get into now. I think it's actually debunked at this point, too. But, um, you know, I feel like a lot of podcasters have those ones that they start with. Right. You know, that they may or may not discuss later on in life. Oh, dude, I definitely have one of those. <laughs> so yeah, I totally <laughs> that, get you. That's a learning experience, I think, is what is what we chalk that up to. A lot of fun, um, good people, just on the off chance that they're listening. <laughs> um, but at the same token, you know, you, you at some point you do want to branch out on your own. Um, my thing was, I was like, all right, there's three things. Everybody gets hooked on podcasting from Serial, right? Or I feel like a lot of people did. So that was my origin story as far as for podcasting. It started with Serial and then went into Truth and Justice and kind of the true crime angle. And then I started watching Curse of Oak Island on History Channel. Right. And Googled, Googled Oak Island and two of my, uh, the Podfathers came up, Astonishing Legends, as well as uh, Nighttime Podcast. So they were, you know, they were the, the two main ones. And then that got me hooked on the kind of paranormal, weird <laughs> You can bleep that out. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, side of things. Um, so then I was like, all right, well, wait, hell. I mean, look at my YouTube search history, and it's basically, oh, learn how to brew beer, and okay, what kind of top 10 X, fill in the blank, you know, government conspiracies or top right. 10 places you can't visit. So I'm like, hell, this this can make a podcast of some sort, you know? So that's kind of the 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 non-technical side of things at least i feel uh, like for, uh your show and our show kind of shares that because we do like tech and paranormal which is like two things we kind of like sandwich together and i feel like uh the the booze as well as like the paranormal stuff or you know any of the sort of like conspiracy theory stuff kind of gets like stuck together too which i think is like a really um cool kind of way of sort of branching off from people who do tend to do podcasts of like one specific genre 
Yeah, yeah. And for me, it was, I mean, I have massive ADD, which you guys will find out really quickly during this episode. Um, so, you know, so the big, you know, I can't focus on one topic or one area. I just have never been able to do that. So it's more like, okay, what's my interest that week or that month or whatever it is? And then look it up then. And uh, the craft beer thing, I've just always loved, uh, you know, learning about craft beer and some of the kind of technical side of that as well too as far as brewing making your own learning about it you know it's a fun kind of hobby to have um and i figured you know there's not quite enough content on craft beer to to make it its own podcast although i've been proven wrong since then <laughs> because there are a lot of a lot of you know interview the brewery podcasts out there um so i figured i just add that on as bonus content and i'll be honest there's some people that have no interest in kind of the paranormal conspiracy side but still listen because they are just there for the craft beer reviews and then there's other people that have no interest in beer but still listen to the beer reviews anyway so it's kind of a fun mix and you break people in here and there on both sides of the spectrum i feel like uh we sort of have the same mix in terms like some people don't really care about the paranormal stuff so they'll listen to like the first half whereas other people just care about that so they'll listen to like uh the second half almost exclusively uh and just sort of beyond the podcast, have you always sort of had an interest in like conspiracy culture and like the paranormal and stuff? Because for me growing up, for some reason, UFOs were always a thing in my life. And I just have grown up and grown old with it. So it's always been sort of like normalized for me. Like, yeah, of course, let's talk about UFOs. Whereas for some of the people, they have like that moment, uh, you know, at X age where they haven't uh, like uh, either something has happened to them or they they sort of realize that they're sort of really into this one specific kind of thing. Yeah, I never had anything weird happen to me. Um, you know, and nor do I want anything weird. I think that's where, that's where I differ from most of the genre, where a lot of people, you know, actually want something weird happen to them, and I really don't. Uh, I'm good. Um, but I, you know, my origin, I think, was really the Travis Walton case. That that's the vivid memory in my head, at least from you know back before the internet kids um you know when when we had that and uh, i had i had his fire in the sky book which i wish i still had because it's probably worth money now um but you know that was i had that original book and got really hooked on that case back then um but it's funny because i went back and i don't know if you guys have where your parents have you know a box of like your school stuff you know like projects and artwork and and some of it's cute and i think it's harder to keep up on or keep up with nowadays with the amount of crap that gets sent home from your kids uh it's like oh they drew an x on the paper here let's send this home you know but anyway but i went back and there's things like i wrote a uh, story in fourth grade called like underwater aliens and my teachers and alien part one and part two apparently you know so i guess i've always had an interest in this and i just never really put it together until much later in life are you planning on uh doing a, dr- a dramatic reenactment of uh this, this short story like the two-parter like will you stage <laughs> yeah. this as a podcast play <laughs> um not a bad idea but you know it would be about three minutes probably because it was on that half page print you know where you have to write the big letters and that sort of stuff so let's throw this out there right now you should quote unquote discover a prequel that runs several pages long that you need to act out to yeah okay we'll we'll see how that (laughs) we'll see how that goes um but i think i think as with most i would say 90% of our genre, at least the paranormal and kind of conspiratorial side, is a lot of it stems from Unsolved Mysteries. And that's, I would say, I vividly remember that, a lot of that from my childhood as well, too. So that's where I kind of am the same as most of our little uh, paranormal club. Did they cover Travis Walton on Unsolved Mysteries? 
That is a great question, and I don't know. Brian would know. As far as I can tell, there wasn't, but uh, someone on their Facebook page did post asking about it. So, I mean, like, that's kind of related to Unsolved Mysteries, but uh, no, there's no official segment uh, for Travis Walton. Uh, TJ, did you see the movie, like, when it came out in theaters in the mid-90s? Did you, like, give your money in and, and sit there and watch that? And if so, like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so I, I've i seen a bunch of stuff on it, actually. <laughs> the, the Hollywood movie is probably the least... <laughs> um, accurate towards his story but see i don't want to bash the movie though because the director and i've read a lot about this after the fact is the director you know had it very accurate apparently from what i've read um in the beginning and he was basically told you know this is boring zhuzh it up a little bit you know so that's what they did like you know the eyeball thing and all that other kind of more um crazy mean grays versus just we're going to fix you up and put you back down to earth, which is what ultimately I think happened to him. So let's let's get into your your tech setup for your uh, podcast. Now we've caught, talked about like the uh, impetus for the show. Uh, what do you use to record exactly? So originally, my original setup was just a boring old ATR twenty one hundred microphone, like most podcasters start off with. I feel like and uh, MacBook Air. That was it, and they just plugged right into each other. And you just- <laughs> as they should right <laughs> um and then uh originally it was garage band okay and now you've graduated to um something else so i moved up a little bit into the zoo so i have a zoom h5 which my you know the other side of add is that <laughs> you do extensive research before you make any of course. you know moderate moderately priced purchase and you know the zoom isn't cheap it's not the most expensive thing out there but it's not super cheap but when I knew I was doing this new podcast, um, I had in mind that, you know, I needed something a little more portable to record some things with. Uh, and then the, you know, just boost the volume up a little bit on the ATR while I'm recording. So uh, it was a win-win there. It's kind of a mini two-port mixer, you know. I've had a, to use the H5 uh, semi-professionally. Like uh, one of my side gigs is I uh, help a friend shoot uh, weddings and he has a bunch of them to capture all the speeches. So it's a pretty robust, pretty great um, little handy recorder to have if you you know it's a couple hundred bucks but it's it's definitely worth the investment yeah i had the h4 years ago sold it on ebay which you know looking back at it you're like what the hell <laughs> i could have kept that the whole time um but i do like the h5 better and it's worth the what 100 bucks extra just for the knobs on the top so that way if you, you can just do, adjust it right on the fly instead of scrolling through five thousand menus plus it's a little skinnier so i like it too just from a physical standpoint when I was initially researching what to use to record, a lot of um, advice was to rec- record on a specific recorder like you're doing so that you have your audio file on one thing and then your computer can totally crash. But those things are usually like knock on wood, bulletproof, and they don't end up crashing that easily and you'll end up with a, a decent file. Whereas if you're on your computer and your computer crashes, you can lose the whole thing. So I think there's there's merit to use both. So right now you're on Skype talking to us on your Mac, but you're not recording on your Mac. You're recording into the Zoom. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that just gives a little cleaner audio for, for you. And also you don't hear all the iMessages dinging in the background. <laughs> um, so, but I have used it before where I have, you know, the XLR to 3.5, um, 
connector cable where it just goes from Skype into the Zoom as kind of the second channel. So I've recorded phone calls that way as well, which um, in the past I've used Google Voice, but that's kind of a nice way to use either Hangouts or Skype or whatever it is the other person has um, that you can use to kind of connect with them. It's a little bit easier and a a little bit cleaner than Google Voice. Yeah, well, we started with Google Voice and then we moved to Skype. But I mean, everything we do is just just so we can communicate. Then we just record our end of the the podcast. But we've mentioned that before. And I've heard some of your episodes where you were recording somebody on Skype and it sounded fantastic. You didn't even use the MP3 from what you told me. Yeah, that was, um, I think that was with, uh, so I start the, when I got the zoom, the first interview was the chasing Earhart one. And then since then, um, I think I had Chris on a couple of times since then. Um, so yeah, those were the two that I, that I started with the, with that setup and it seemed to work pretty well so far. Yeah. And just to clarify, that's, uh, that's Chris from the mad scientist podcast. Yeah. Well, now that we got your, uh, computer and podcast, uh, set up out of the way, what's your What's your thing on on a daily basis? Your phone you use, and anything else that you take with you? Yeah, so I'm an I'm an Apple junkie, just like you, and that's part of the reason I got hooked on your show. It's funny because I've, <laughs> well, well, I've listened well. to, to uh, you know, there's other shows out there where where they get into sort of that same area, but they fall more into like the comic book movie side, where it's not really that that was never my thing growing up for whatever reason. But you guys are more the tech specifically apple uh junkie side so that's really where i got hooked on the tech side of your show as well and the paranormal obviously has apparently been a uh some kind of childhood repressed memory from mine so um so yeah i have the uh what do i have i'm looking at it now the iphone 6 plus 6s plus i think okay um and the only reason i switched to plus over the 5s was great and probably still works um but i'm a house husband is my full-time job so um so as that it's nice to have something a little bigger that you can kind of um sneak in adult shows while the kids are napping and that sort of stuff without taking over their tv and uh dealing with that kind of mess I feel like that's the most functional description as to why someone has gotten a phone that I've heard like so far on this podcast and all the times we've asked someone about it. Well, and that's also why I got the AirPods. That was from you as well, Angelo. So all those um, AirPods, man, they're the one of the best things Apple's done in years. Can't do them. And I, no, yeah. Well, so I don't like the in-ear ones that go like to feel like in you know something's burrowing into your ear. Yes, I know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that was never my thing. So as far as in-ear went for me was just the regular Apple ones. And I'm like, well, what's a better regular Apple one? You're like, get these ones that are literally the Apple ones. (laughs) So, you know, uh, they work great. Like I said, the only problem I have, and I've told you before, is losing that stupid charging case is I have a tendency of forgetting where i put that. (laughs) Yeah, and that doesn't have the find my AirPods thing because the antenna's in the actual airpods themselves so you won't be able to find that case if there's not an airpod in it that's the problem with that yeah it's usually somewhere stupid like it falls out of my my pocket into the couch cushions or like you know somewhere stupid or gets kicked under a bed or somewhere i also have the phantom earbud thing where sometimes i'll wake up in the middle of the night and forget (laughs) you know like like start hitting my ears that i forgot to take them out which i'll you know i've done that you know falling asleep listening to something or whatever um but I, I forget to, uh, you know, sometimes you get the Phantom one where you feel like they're in there. I had for the longest time the whole Phantom uh, wire syndrome where I kept like moving the wire away from me. And I, I got them in December of 2016. So like the day they came out, I actually managed to, to, buy, uh, to buy them. And obviously December through to March, I'm wearing like a big heavy coat. And 
it it was annoying basically in in the winter to have a wire because if it's like minus 20 outside which happens from time to time the wire would become just basically hard plastic and and be really annoying so now just having airpods in it really makes a big difference it it's crazy to think that just something as silly as a wire and not having one would be, be such a huge convenience. But I, if there's one thing to recommend the AirPods for, it's just the whole convenience thing. They sound fine. They're not. You're not going to get like audiophile quality with them, but they're going to sound okay. And it's really the convenience that uh, boosts it up. But it's it's something you mentioned before, and I was I've been going over in my head where you know you're buying uh, stuff to go for your podcast and thing and thing. And I, I'm starting to think that that's like my midlife crisis is buying equipment for audio and uh, like i haven't spent too much on getting this podcast up and running you know i I had a microphone i had a stand that all that stuff already i just bought the uh, usb interface and i got some software and i was good to go but it's really fun just using all this stuff and getting the podcast together so it's like my own little personal midlife crisis at this point uh, and it sounds like you have like a similar a similar thing yeah, I bl- I mean, I blame my ADD on that. Whenever I g- get into a fun project that I like, I'm always like, okay, what are the fun toys that go with it? You know. Um, now, ho- however, since being married, my wife has controlled that a lot um, in a good way. Uh, you know, where it's uh, I should say rein th- rein that in a lot. You know, it's it's helped having a budget and having things that are a little bit more long term. So, as an example, on the other side of pints and puzzles, the pint side, um, you know, I'll make craft or I'll make beer at home. Sometimes successfully, sometimes not. But but the you know equipment to go along with that doesn't go bad. You just have to clean it out. You yeah. know, before you before you go use it the next time, it's just pots and those old soda kegs. You know, um, so it's kind of the same thing where it's like if you're going to buy something now, I'd rather buy something that I'm going to use either for other things or for long-term, you know? Well, some of this audio equipment lasts forever. This microphone I'm using right now looks brand new, but I bought it in, I think, 99 or 2000. So it's it's getting on like 18 years old. It can vote now. Um, my, <laughs> my keyboard, my my not my uh, computer keyboard, but my piano keyboard, it's an 88-weighted key, uh, Alesis, that's, I think from 98, so it's 20 years old for sure, and it's still working fine. I'm actually teaching my daughter to play piano on it now, although I am uh, tinkering with the idea of getting a uh, a MIDI controller for my computer just to easily plug in USB instead of having to go through the whole MIDI thing. Yeah, I got a message but, from uh, him last week being like, my keyboard is too heavy from bringing it up downstairs. Should I do this? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Any excuse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's where I'm like, you know, sitting there, say whatever. My wife's always like, if you use whatever you have for more than a month, then you could buy something new. You know, like, it's <laughs> yeah. like so, so go see if you use it for a while. And, you know, I mean, I think it's about time for a new microphone. I mean, I've had this for, what, a year and a half, two years <laughs> now. Oh, actually, if we probably further than that, that's only been as long as Pints of Puzzles has been up. So uh, probably two years, I guess, now. So, you know, and it's held up pretty, pretty well, actually. I, I really... I always recommend the Audio Technica stuff. It's really good. Yeah, I use an AT twenty twenty, and I love it. So, yeah, that's a great microphone as well, too. I um, one of my other podcasting friends uses the forty forty. Oh, that thing, that thing is beautiful. It's like super crisp on his voice. Um, I don't think condensers would work for me, but that's just my own personal preference. I think 
Exactly. Uh, speaking of things you can buy, though, I don't know if you guys had the chance of reading uh, some of the stuff that we put in the show notes, but uh, Samsung's uh, SmartThings home platform went down a bunch uh, this week, uh, causing users and homeowners uh, a lot of different kinds of grief. <laughs> yeah, stuff like this is what makes me concerned about getting anything to do with a smart home. I kind of worry. Uh, I... Th- the smartest thing I have in my house, I guess, are my my Nest uh, fire alarms. And I mean, those work without being connected to the internet for obvious reasons. They're just regular smoke alarms, but with the added thing that if the internet's working and everything, they actually connect to me and let me know if they're actually going off. But other, other than that, they work like regular smoke alarms. I've heard uh, stuff going down for ages and this, how long was it, Brian, that they were down for? I think it was like 14 hours or more. So imagine not being able to use like your heater or lights for 14 hours uh, and knowing full well that it's not a power outage. Well, some of these are tied into like things like door locks and garage doors, right? It's not just lights and stuff. It's being able to get in and out of your house. And that, that's, I would say that that's an important part of owning a home is being able to get into it. Using the doors, yes. But I'm also going to say that most of the locks, at least the one, I have like one key code lock, right? For it's, it's on our back door that has the, you know, the keypad where you type it in and it opens, but it also has a manual override that you can use a key on it. So I would say that, that most things probably have that. And I mean, come on, you can turn on a damn light if you need to, you know, <laughs> yes. like, like get off your butt and turn on the light. To be fair, though, like, <laughs> most of the people who probably use this also have the Amazon key thing, right? So they're full into the idea of an automated home anyways. So uh, while there may be manual overrides, they don't know how to use them. Yeah, which I which I agree with. I'm I'm all for automation and, and being as lazy as possible. <laughs> um, but I'm also, you know, hesitant because we have so much tech stuff and a lot of it breaks you know that you do need some kind of backup you know soon we're going to start hearing stories of people getting home and jeff bezos is there waiting for them with an amazon package he's worth a lot of money he may give you two packages oh true i actually got home to an amazon package today so there was it a keyboard it was not a keyboard <laughs> it, but connected it was a, a workbook for my daughter to learn how to play piano oh perfect well yeah. okay. Look at you instructing your family and being a good family man. Double density. Uh, I know we keep saying this on the podcast, and uh, by the way, I also I was listening to another podcast this week. They used the word uh, "pod" to describe what they do, and I hate it. So no one ever do that in my presence, please. Uh, but I keep saying that Facebook is the worst, and it just keeps getting worse. It's uh, it's getting pretty bad. Um, in the last few weeks, things have come out about how they deal with data who gets the data, how that data is then used. And uh, the big thing right now is the story with Cambridge Analytica. And uh, you know what came up, actually, uh, connecting it to Canada, is that uh, the whistleblower, Christopher Wiley, he actually used to use these um, algorithms. He started with using them for um, the Liberal Party of Canada, who ended up getting rid of him because they did not like the direction they were going. And essentially what they're doing is these algorithms that he took basically by getting data from Facebook, they, and I'm quoting from him, they explore the mental vulnerabilities of people. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, TJ sounds like he has feelings. 
I have lots of feelings, but Pints and Puzzles remains a non-political view on their podcast. <laughs> no, that's fair. So let's here let's let's pivot then. No, in that case, I'll, I, I'll, I'll actually I can I mean I can talk a little bit about it to a degree, and I mean come on, we're going to touch on some of that. Oh yeah, we're at some uh, point. I think touching know? on it is a very very uh, big understatement here. So I think that the disclaimer will be that the views expressed on TJ on Double Density do not necessarily reflect the views of Pints and Puzzles. Oh, so it's All your right, twin well, then in that case. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So so we're good on that. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, I've always been anti-Facebook. So uh, that's why I don't have a Facebook account for Pints and Puzzles. Um, Notes from the Attic, I think it may be a necessity uh, for that particular show. But, you know, I've always been anti-Facebook and... I know you guys have always had the debate as to which which company is going to take over the world first, you know, Amazon or Facebook, yeah, you know? <laughs> or or Google, you know. So, well, here let me put it on the case. I'm dealing, I'm doing a podcast with two parents, right? Um, how do you guys feel about the future of your kids' data, right? Like the idea, and I had this discussion with an old boss of mine because she had pictures of her kid up for a while and then took them down because she wasn't sure if she wanted to create that digital path for them and sort of, because uh, as we know, Facebook creates profiles for you whether or not you want to, you know, with the way that they bury code inside of all their ads and on different websites. So it's existing out there. And I'm just curious, like if you've given a lot of thought to, you know, how to sort of figure this out with your kids as they grow older. For now, my kids are, are not on Facebook. They, they don't really even know what it is. They kind of hear people talking about it, but they're not on there. Uh, I obviously have put pictures of them on there. I haven't, and just to clarify, I haven't really logged into Facebook in a few weeks. Uh, Brian sort of chastised me about that last week on the show, saying uh, that's great for our podcast. I don't go on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it bothers me that they have that much personal info. Now, Google has a lot of info on me as well. They also, they have like several, uh, tens of thousands of my photos. The thing is, is I don't know what it is. Okay, so let's put it in order of trust. Um, in terms of these companies, at the top of the heap is obviously Apple because they do seem to care about their their privacy of their customers, even so much so to the detriment of uh, Siri not working as well as it possibly could. Below them, I I think I put Google mainly because of the way I use them. I, I don't feel like Google does too much in terms of my own data. But yes, obviously, they're mining my data. That's why I get to use their stuff for free. After them, I'd say Amazon is in there. Amazon and Microsoft, I guess, I hardly use Microsoft stuff really. Although I guess we're currently using Skype. And way, way, way at the bottom, like way is down there is Facebook. Is, is it just me or that it's really starting to come out how scummy they really are? No, and I'm with you on that. And actually, it's funny as you were saying that in my head, you were matching it verbatim what I was, what I would have backed you up with. Um, as far as, and I think you're right. It comes down to trust, and maybe it's just, you know, it reality versus perception. You know, maybe Amazon's stalking us just as much, and they're just come across as the nicer company. But they, but you're right. There's just something real scummy about Facebook, and I think it's probably due to the lack of transparency. In a lot of cases, and I'm not on it, but I did try to set set up a pod, a um, Facebook account for the new podcast, and it was weird. It's like all it's not transparent as all at all as far as the privacy settings and trying to you know it gets mad at you if you try to restrict too much, then it thinks you're a, a bot. It's very weird. As with you know, even Twitter, you can just click off everything and it doesn't track you anymore. You know, well, what's crazy about that is the privacy on Facebook has improved. 
That's oh, really? the cra- yes, that's like it was really, really bad before, right, Brian? Yeah, but I also think that uh, to what TJ was saying, um, the way in which you can restrict things has gotten very convoluted. Like it used to be very easy with settings. Now it's just sub menu after sub menu things you can do. And I'm not even sure who can see my Facebook page anymore. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not. I know that like friends of friends, I think can do it. But apart from that, I'm really not sure beyond that. What who can see my photos, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. It's it's it is getting more and more convoluted. Um, Facebook used to be really simple. I remember the first time I saw it. I think I was like two thousand six or two thousand seven. I was I was finishing up my degree, and somebody in my class uh, was using it, and I said, "What is that?" Uh, it was. I think it was at the point where it was just universities that had Facebook, so it was relatively early on. And um, but since then it's kind of evolved to this weird monstrosity of an echo chamber of basically showing you things you want to see no matter whether it's good or bad. So if you believe in something that's totally wrong, uh, it'll still show you the thing that's totally wrong because that's what it knows you like. And nobody learns anything that way. I also think the breadth of information that Facebook collects on you is, is kind of, and that's why I would place, um, you know, absolutely a- Apple, Amazon, Google, et cetera, above you, um, above Facebook in that, like it prompts you to give it so much information right from the get go. And I think TJ, uh, when you're talking about, you know, setting up a Facebook page or a Facebook account, really like it, it probably asked you a, a ton of questions about yourself. Yeah. And it's funny cause it won't let you set up a, like a page, a business page, quote unquote, um, or like, uh, you know, a non-human page for lack of a better term um unless you set up the human personal one first so i had to put you know all fake information in there and at a certain point it said we've locked your account because we think it's fake send us a picture of yourself (laughs) (laughs) so so i did that and it'll probably go back and i guarantee you it's going to find you know my facebook profile from five years ago and be like no you are really this person not and i'm gonna be like all right i'm out <laughs> you know that, that, that's way way too much stalking thanks guys <laughs> they're gonna wonder why that picture is of a drunk puzzle piece <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i should have said him that one actually <laughs> see but tj you're advocating for something that i think i'm beginning to want to do which is to slowly change my personal information to disinformation i invite other people to slowly but surely you know change a fact about yourself you know kind of see where it takes you the hardest part is coming up with the aliases, I'll be honest, <laughs> which I'm not giving it away on here, but it's, you know, start stealing, you know, mixing your names together or something like that. So what you're saying is that you set up a, a Facebook page or a Facebook profile with a name like Pants and Poodles, like Pants first name, Poodles last name? I tried something like that and it's like, you must use a real name. And I'm like, how do you not know that, you know, <laughs> which is actually, actually that, that brings up another point with the kids though, with some of these celebrities like, um, Apple and Northwest and all that, all those crazy names, like they're going to have a hard time making Facebook profiles when they're older, you know? That's a really good point, TJ, in terms of like, uh, what is right and what is wrong in terms of naming. And then I guess, how do you prove it if you're underage? Like, are you really going to be a 13 year old who scans your school ID to send to your Facebook overlords? Well, and then that's the other thing. So I sent them an old generic picture I had on my computer or my iCloud, you know, of a you know, profile picture, boring one. I think it was my LinkedIn one, right? <laughs> and then it's like, maybe that's just their way of collecting more information on you, you know, if you think about it. The, ne- the ne- we never got the message kind of angle where like, you just need to give us more. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, but think about it. If they, you scan your school ID for them. Now they have all the information that's on the school ID beyond just your picture. Very good point, actually. And that's uh, that kind of stuff is easily um, cataloged now with a lot of the tools that they have. 
but and see and to your point with kids now i mean i never really thought about it to be really honest because my kids are five six and one so it's something that eventually we're gonna have to think about but i think i've blocked out the fact that they're going to be teenagers with facebook (laughs) and you know and then that brings up you know how much spying do you do on your kids versus autonomy and trust and that sort of stuff and that's a whole that's a whole other episode you know we'll we'll have a sequel set six years in the future where we can discuss this with you yeah hopefully podcasting's still around by then it will be (laughs) um speaking about families though apple um recently launched a page for families which i think is kind of creepy it's actually not a bad thing it gives you some explanation about how the tools in ios mostly work uh, i've used some of these they're they're actually quite helpful one of the things though that doesn't work very well all the time is um if you go on the page you'll see there's something called ask to buy and in my experience almost every single time i've tried to use it there's been an issue where my daughter can't download the app that she wants to download so the message to ask my permission never gets to me so at one point i just gave up and let it left it alone that she can download whatever she wants because i do trust her and the thing is she's never using an ipad without us around anyway so it's not a big deal it's just i wish it was a little easier to use i think i figured out the issue though it happens mostly on her her ipad mini which is an old one it can't be updated to ios 11 whereas on her her old the old iphone she uses is updated to ios 11 and that has no issues at all so it's it's a bit of a problematic thing but the page is fine i don't know why you think it's creepy um, other than Apple saying, hey, your family should use everything. Spend money here. It, to me, it came, it came across as more like teaching you how to use the restrictions and that sort of stuff, which are all on my stuff, too. But I uh, I can see from an out, outside perspective. I don't know. It's, it's the track your children thing that bothers me a bit. Like, there's such a, I, and I get safety, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, to anyone who figures out uh, any which way in, in, they can sort of gain the system and gain access to any of these things really tells you where everyone is at all times. And I think that's kind of weird. I think Apple does a decent job of this um, in terms of, like we said before, these big tech companies, they're close to the top, if not the top, in terms of making sure. The problem is, is that there were all these open letters a few months ago telling, saying that Apple should do something to curb smartphone, um, is abuse the right word, um, by children in terms of them getting addicted to it. And it's really not necessarily all on Apple. They can put in the tools to help. But guess what? As a parent, it's kind of your job to parent your uh, your kid to not get them hooked on a smartphone and use it all the time. Yeah, I agree with that too from a from a parenting perspective. Um, and I mean, my kids get more than the recommended screen time from the pediatrician, you know. But <laughs> uh, you know, I freely admit that. But. You know, I, I mean, if you're smart about it, yeah, they can play um, Roblox and all that stuff, but they also learned a lot from that as well. You know, when they're on a car trip, I'd much rather them be, you know, playing ABC Mouse or whatever the heck it is for, for that age, you know, than any of the other stuff that they could be doing. I'm just going to say yes to that because I have no idea what you just listed off. Well, that's okay, Brian. You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know soon enough. Yeah, I mean, you took the, you took the first step. No, yeah, no, exactly. Only, Logically, keeps going from here. <laughs> I was I was joking with uh, friends last week. Uh, I was out with some friends, and I was like, I want to just adopt a really surly fifteen year old. Like, I kind of like I will skip the like three quarters of their uh, adult evolution and just kind of insert myself into the last couple of years, where like it's really contentious, but I don't have to teach them as much. You know what? I'm going to tell you, like as much as my kids drive me nuts, 
and cause me to drink the pint side of pints and puzzles, <laughs> um, you know, they, you know, and be on higher doses of blood pressure medicine, I wouldn't change it for, for the world. And I'm sure Angela, you probably would, would agree with that too, but 100%. Yeah. There's, uh, there's so much that you would miss between now and 15. You know, the, the funny thing is when we started the recording tonight, I didn't think that this would be like so earnest and like, you know, <laughs> So I didn't, I didn't think it would be this serious either, but don't so, worry, it'll, it'll go downhill quickly. Don't worry. <laughs> it's become poignant. Well, well, let's smash that by talking about our next topic at hand, which is uh, YouTube Kids isn't doing so well with the kids because they're letting kids watch videos by people like David Icke. <sighs> yeah, I saw this and I said, wow, another perfect story for Double Density where it's mix, it's it's the perfect bridge from tech to the paranormal uh, and um, conspiracy type things. I can't believe that David Icke videos got past. Well, I guess I can believe it because of all the garbage that gets past YouTube kids. I thought they had tried to fix this a few months ago when there was that whole Paw Patrol fiasco with the the paw, the, the the puppies committing suicide. And uh, now you don't want them to uh, to see these things. And the last thing I want my kid to watch is a two hour. Uh, seminar by David Icke. Oh, so one of the shorter ones. That's the last thing you want anybody to watch, let alone your kids. (laughs) (laughs) I was joking earlier today about, you know, YouTube coming out with the PR move, right? So like something like YouTube kids and David Icke have formed a strategic partnership in order to better educate the youth of the world. Icke has bought airtime across some of those popular Sesame Street, Paw Patrol, and traditional nursery rhyme videos to better explain the New World Order agenda to toddlers, which I think is kind of, of true. Well, it's important to explain this to the children. They're the ones who are going to inherit this world from the New World Order and will be part of the One World Government and will have to deal with all that. So they need to be prepared. One of my favorite angles about David Icke is always the idea that uh, kids are born enslaved and don't realize that. Like, it's very, like, matrixy. Is it, is it like a collective conscience he thinks we are? Like, we're not, we're, are we all asleep? I don't get David Icke sometimes. Well, sometimes. I don't get him at all. He uh, he has a very comprehensive set of beliefs that I'm not going to get into because I don't think it's worth uh, our time to discuss this at this juncture. Would we do another episode about him? Do I own David Icke books? Absolutely. Do I really uh, think uh, they're of any interest to most people? Probably not. But hey, they're the ones who are all asleep, not me. I just don't need my children being told about the lizard people when they're watching YouTube. I, unless those uh, unless those lizard people are like Yoshi in uh, them when they're watching uh, Zebra Gamer play Super Mario Odyssey or something like that. So it goes Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, David Icke, Sesame Street, a John Hogue video about Nostradamus that lasts like two, two and a half hours, <laughs> uh, you know, a David Icke video, and then maybe like a rerun or a, like a top 10 ancient aliens moment. That's That's perfect. That's what YouTube kids should be all about. <laughs> I mean, it's future podcast training, right? <laughs> that's true. Actually, that's a really good point, right? Like, um, we all share common ground. I feel like a lot of other podcasters, you said TJ before about unsolved mysteries. But what is this generation's like unsolved mysteries? What will kids stumble upon uh, if not for YouTube videos, right? So, in a weird kind of perverse way, YouTube kids is kind of doing everyone a service here. It's gonna be podcasts, <laughs> to be honest. Oh well, maybe they'll 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 branch out from YouTube Kids. It'd be great if YouTube Kids like links them to like a Joe Rogan podcast with uh, <laughs> with Tom DeLonge talking about uh, aliens and all that. Or my fun, and, uh, or the the Alex Jones one from last year, which was just yep, six levels of insane. 
the best Joe Rogan video ever. Well, the strange thing is like they've known each other for so long, right? Since like the late nineties that it's like watching old friends reminisce, but also like the elephant in the room is like one of them has like declined mentally. <laughs> Which one in this case? <laughs> See, I'm leaving that ambiguous on purpose. Well, Say what you will about Joe Rogan. He does one of the best Alex Jones impressions there is. Yeah, he also uh, hosted Fear Factor, which is kind of a cool show. So there we go. Let's head on over to the paranormal section, guys, because I feel like that is where the meat and potatoes of this episode is going to happen, as well as a lot of like inert frustration. So let's just get it out of the way there. You're listening to America's favorite program, Notes from the Egg. Welcome to Notes from the Attic. The concept of this show is simple. Everyone has a story to tell. This is their chance to tell it. In season one, we take a listen to stories from the past. Think of those stories your grandparents and parents told at Sunday dinner. That's a general idea. We can't do it alone, though. If you or someone you know would be a great storyteller, let us know. Our email is atticnotespod at gmail.com, or you can leave a message on our studio line at 508-257-1726. Go subscribe to the show on Audio Boom or your podcast player of choice to get the latest and greatest. And remember, everyone has a story. What would yours say? You're listening to America's favorite program, Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. And I think this is the first episode in which I've given a guest, uh, a guest some homework to do. Um, so when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do with this episode, I came up with the brilliant slash really dumb idea of uh, reading <laughs> William Cooper's Behold a Pale Horse, which is uh, a very frustrating, very intriguing, um, and ultimately very useless Ugh. kind of book. I feel like that's the message I get from you guys after having uh, read through it or leafed through it. I was a little scared myself because I knew a lot, a lot of what was in there from previous um, above top secret reading days back in the day, back before it became all political shit on there now i was i was on there probably from 2004 to 2007 and so after that it got for me that's when it got like crazy political i wasn't interested yeah i think i started 2005 there's still some good you, you gotta you gotta dig, dig. you gotta now. dig yeah um, but it's funny that you do mention above top secret because i feel like it does inform the modern landscape of uh conspiracy theory culture right from like aliens to zombies and like from shadow governments to like a lot of nefarious government testing and like uh off books sites etc etc new world order you know some of the david ike stuff like the reptile stuff is also covered there um but yeah it, it's this the book is kind of like this weird smorgasbord of like every single thing you'll ever encounter in conspiracy culture all uh it's like a unified theory of conspiracy culture um i feel like uh like bill cooper does a really good job of sort of like having this like additive attitude about conspiracy culture and that he's like yeah of course you know like of course they're here of course it's the you know the globalists of course it's the reptiles of course the ufos are working with the you know with the government i started the book with the understanding it'd be a little nutty i just didn't realize how nutty it was going to be hmm. within a few pages 
he proclaimed himself as some sort of uh, Navy analyst or something, and he was a um, in some sort of clandestine services, and then he was on a boat, and then he's talking about his background. All of a sudden, he starts talking about a UFO he saw out of left field. It just he starts talking about UFOs. It's really strange. He connects everything. I had a really hard time reading this book. A lot of capitalization all over the place for no reason. Um, he's screaming at you through most of the book. I could see his face getting red as he was typing or writing this down. Yeah, but that helps when you're skimming through it. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can you can just uh, know which parts to focus on a little bit more. Oh, he's yelling. Okay, look, let's start reading again. <laughs> I have a theory. I, I, yeah. I have a theory about that as to why actually, Angelo. If you'll uh, like indulge me for a second here, please. Uh, so Bill Cooper is widely known as the person who invented the term or popularized the term sheeple, right? And so he wanted to wake you up with his capital letters. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, the, okay, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, it could just be for emphasis, obviously, but I mean, if you really want to play the the you know the conspiracy theory game, I feel like he's trying to wake the sheeple up um, by using different kinds of punctuation in order to alert you to what's going on. I so it is it is uh, attributed to him then. He's the guy who came up with the whole stupid term sheeple. Well, I don't know if he came up with it, but he definitely popularized the term sheeple and used it as much as he could. There was too many of them that were kind of fall into that same bucket, you know, like we've mentioned a couple of them already. We have with Alex Jones and David Icke and uh, everybody's favorite, Linda Moulton Howell. And, <laughs> you know, they're all, but I didn't realize that he's basically the godfather, for lack of a better term, of all of those people. Right. And I think that's kind of what we wanted to talk about a bit of like, how did we get from like there to here sort of like, not necessarily in terms of like specifics, but in terms of like a broad cultural movement, right? Because this guy was super anti-government. This guy actually died because the government shot him, right? So he was born uh, 1943, died November 5th, 2001, because uh, he he was quoted as saying that they're never going to take him alive, right? Because he uh, was big into tax evasion. Like, he didn't pay his taxes for a while. They knew that he was armed, so they couldn't really approach his house um, unless they, they really, really had to, right? So they, they drew him out. He pulled a gun on a police officer, a sheriff's officer, I think, and just pulled the trigger, and then uh, they exchanged fire, and he died. I like how you say he was big into tax. I know, I know. That was one of his things. He was big into D&D. He was big (laughs) into uh, video games. He was big into tax evasion. So to be fair, I've listened to way too much of his uh, shortwave radio program, The Hour of the Time, and he's always, always, always railing against the government, which like from like a distorted kind of like, I'm not in this current conflict kind of perspective. It's kind of really fun to listen to because like, I'm not a part of this necessarily. Right. Uh, So it's great to hear him rail against the idiots out there and you know the dark shadow government that's in power it's fun now from the other side of the of the border it's uh kind of scary actually of how much of it is uh coming to light not, you know um and how you're like wait i can kind of see that nowadays you know um you know especially in our current political environment uh you can definitely see how some of it uh, may not be as crazy as we originally thought people compare him and alex jones but Alex Jones is, Jones is a total supporter of this this current administration. He was there campaigning pretty much with with Trump and this and Bill Cooper. I don't think would have been. Uh, he's much more of a libertarian, if anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, based on the tax angle and the way that he agreed in small to no government, um, he definitely would have hated any sort of uh, large political movement, especially like a Republican candidate who was even advocating for change. He still would have probably questioned him because he was so paranoid about everyone that he clearly um, would really prefer not to deal with the system at all. Well, it's it's funny because Alex Jones's whole thing is that Trump is the anti-establishment 
you know, Hillary being the shadow government, Trump is the opposite, right? And that's why Alex Jones supports Trump, you know, which is so it's not so much necessarily a Republican thing. It's just more he's the outsider type of thing. And again, I'm not trying not to. I mean, you can kind of tell where I, where I stand on that, but I'm trying not to officially say where we stand on any of the political issues. Down well, that's here. fine because, like, I wanted to quickly, very quickly mention. Um, I don't know if you guys are, you know, familiar with the the QAnon stuff that's been going on, mm-hmm. um, and sort of the idea that um, Trump is actually like uh, signaling them like super low key. Um, about a lot of this um, stuff and that he actually is in the know of all of these different conspiracies and he's actively uh, trying to fight them. So I find that that's kind of really interesting um, to sort of think about uh, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum about this idea of a sitting president hand signaling um, a select group of operatives uh, that he really knows what's going on. Tying it back to Cooper, do you, th- do you think somebody like Trump read his book? I don't think he reads too much, but... Well, there's that whole theory that he's illiterate, right? That's another conspiracy. I don't think the man's illiterate. I just don't think he has a curiosity to actually learn or read or do anything like that. He just wants information given to him one way or another by... What's the whole thing now where they're putting ideas into Fox and Friends so that they they trickle down to the president, which is bonkers to me? (laughs) Firstly, you're you're killing my vibe here because this is the conspiracy theory episode and you're killing my conspiracy theory vibe, so how dare you? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, but not really though, because if you if you look at some of the Twitter stuff, and I'm not taking a side on it, but if you look at some of the Twitter screenshots where they show Trump tweeted this 20 minutes after this was on Fox and Friends, there's some validity to the conspiracy side. Oh, for sure, there's a direct correlation. And I mean, didn't he want to put like Alex Jones as a cabinet member or some shit, <laughs> something in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. Didn't he at one point? Yeah, he was thinking about it. Um. So I think I need to take things back a second and sort of ask, like, how far into the book did you get? I went, I, I went through the whole thing. I would be like skimming, skimming. Okay, crazies talk. Oh, the, the stuff that got me the most was when he completely disregarded facts. Reading it, what is it, 25, 27 years after it was written? Things like the Galileo spacecraft will cause Jupiter to turn into a star and to prevent an ice age. Because he says it's an ice age that's coming because global warming, of course, is a hoax, according to him. Stuff like that kind of like made me laugh because now with hindsight, we can see how absolutely stupid it was. You sure about that? Oh, what? You think you think uh, that? No, but, but think about it. We would like we would we think it's dumb because we never saw the ice age, right? Because they fixed it. And they, I'm just I, oh, again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the tin. I'm gonna play the tinfoil hat. I love this. Uh, you know, yes, please. Uh, just just for fun. Uh, and again, I'm not saying necessarily I'm as crazy as I'm gonna sound, um, which also ties into Cooper and Jones for that matter. Um, but you know, I'll definitely play the the tinfoil hat side in this conversation. So you think that's what happened? It covered up the. Um, it prevented the ice age. And Bill Cooper was ahead of the t- of his time. No, but what if he was right and that did happen? And then we just don't know the difference because we don't, you know what I mean? Like we never would have known the difference. No, we slept right through it because we're sheeple. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're all I mean, on our smartphones and playing Farmville. Oh, oh yeah, that's, sheeple. Farmville. That's really funny in that it's funny that you say that though, TJ, because I was listening to a podcast recently where people were talking about the fact that like a lot of stuff could be going on right now, but no one's paying attention because they're so fixated on their gadgets as a way of like mind control almost that nobody is bothering to take a look around them and seeing these things. Yeah, it was um 
what was it that john teeny was on a podcast i think or whatever his name was and he was saying that uh you know the government doesn't need to install gps trackers in us we, we carry them around all day and we're on them all day you know yeah he was on rob's uh, on rob christopherson's show yeah. our strange guys exactly that was uh that was an interesting take on um <laughs> the use of smartphones as i was how- listening to it on my smartphone in my car you know <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> with my maps on so, you know so <laughs> so it, they, i mean it was spot on though but you know that's definitely something where you know maybe they're not doing it as directly as you think you know and maybe you know the fema plastic bins at the fema camps aren't coffins you know <laughs> but maybe there's something a little bit more subtle there that they are doing and uh, trying to, uh, you know, a little more subtly in there. You bring up a great point, uh, TJ, in that uh, with everything we have with data and stuff, I think Bill Cooper would be horrified if he had lived this long to see how easily people can be tracked. Now they're willingly basically carrying a microchip with them to be able to be tracked by the government. They have cameras and microphones on them all the time that... Um, if what we hear is true about what the NSA can do, they can easily just tap into those microphones and listen to us whenever they want, even if they're not yahoos like us that like to talk into microphones as their hobby and then put it on the internet. Yeah, and that's one of those things where where we thought it was a crazy conspiracy for a while, and then it comes out that the FBI can, you know, not even NSA, the, the FBI can do regular wiretaps on people short, unless you take the battery out of your phone, which... Conveniently, Apple Apple makes you not able to do. I don't, you know, like so. You know, short of that, it's kind of funny where some of these things that people thought were crazy conspiracies, probably back in Bill Cooper's day, you know, are starting to come to light now. I feel like the manifestations in which um, Bill Cooper makes in his book, because like we're not going to talk about things like his whole theory on HIV and AIDS. We're not going to talk about things like Pete Skate or Sandy Hook or anything like that. We're going to stay like far away from that because I feel like it's a very touchy subject anyways. And we had this discussion earlier today where like it's it's sort of fun to talk about things like the saucer people um, that don't necessarily impact people's lives. But anything that has like a direct impact in terms of like something you say to someone, I feel is sort of like um, not something that I want to cover today necessarily. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think we're all on the same page on that. Yeah, where it's if it's gonna, especially nowadays, especially down on this side of the border, there's a lot of sensitivity around a lot of those topics. So right. So I'm just saying, if anyone's listening for their PizzaGate hot, hot like hot takes, like this is not the podcast for you. This is a podcast about three frustrated guys who read a book that was just um, a cornucopia of like insane things just str- strung together in lower, lower and uppercase uh, at nauseum. But that said, don't take off your tinfoil hats because it's no, still, no, no, we're no, still no, going to no, go no. down oh, that no, rabbit hole. Oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. Yeah. But, but we're just going to have that. a little bit more fun with it. We're just not going to talk about you know government pedophile uh, rings and that sort of stuff that Alex Jones and Joe Rogan were talking about. And I have to say, I, I did find the, the whole UFO, aliens, Among Us, uh, all that stuff the most fun part of his book because Mm -hmm. most of the book is really depressing and just he's not a happy person but the whole alien stuff i i got i got really into that because it was it's fun it's just it's bonkers and dumb and not definitely not real but it's a lot of fun to think about so you were completely not on board with it the whole time the 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 whole time the whole time because i found myself being like oh this is bs and i'm like wait uh, that little piece kind of makes sense a little and then no it's, i was you know, just at the bs part that's 
What about you, Brian? So his whole thing is that he claimed that there were uh, like what, like uh, I can't remember the number, but after World War II, it was like sixty-ish, I think, something like that. Yeah, yeah, like they were both like dead and alive, and I thought that was kind of interesting. But the things that like he he does this classic kind of like conspiracy theory trope where he claims to have documentation and then claims to not have documentation, right? Yeah, and he. This goes back to the Jacques Vallée article about how you can find a hoax where the hoaxer always kind of inflates his credentials. And I find Cooper did this a lot. Um, He also kept talking about no one should stay home on national holidays or anything (laughs) like that. That was the thing that kept coming up and always made me laugh whenever I read it. Yeah, what was that? So he, so he said it I, multiple times though. Yeah. Well, so like, one of the quotes, on? <laughs> one of the quotes I took out was, and this is all in caps, patriots must not be at home on any national holiday during the day or night ever again until the danger is past. Disregard this warning and you will find yourself in a concentration camp. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out like, is there some kind of like code there you know what i mean like but then he talks about the fema camps basically turning into concentration camps and the bilderberg group yeah yeah yeah. new world order martial law all that fun stuff the thing too is that this guy (laughs) believed that the protocols of the elders design was like a legitimate like document to reference from he was like saying like you have to replace the illuminati for like the jewish like it's this like really weird thing where he just was like signaling like signaling a lot of of different things right and i think that like we very briefly today uh wanted to talk about the idea of like the word globalist right because trump used the word globalist um recently uh to describe like a departing cabinet member and i thought that was like a really weird thing to say knowing that there's this history of it being used as like a slur yeah and and cooper's in good company there with the likes of david ike who also buys into that stupid thing when i think of trump using the word globalist i uh, I keep thinking of uh, the Princess Bride, where he says, uh, "Where was it, Inigo Montoya?" Where he keeps saying, "You, you keep using that word, but you don't." But I don't think you know what right, it means. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way in which President Trump, um, rightfully or wrongfully, decides to use certain words um, does place him in certain kinds of company, whether or not he is uh, naive enough to realize it or nefarious enough to actually understand why it's being used and use it. Right. So I, it's a question of like intent there, um, regardless of how you feel about him using certain words uh, that are very loaded can be problematic. Um, but yeah, so I want to get back to this whole alien thing, right? So like William Cooper's like, yo, guess what? I've got, we've, we've seen dozens of aliens. Some of them are alive. We've been in contact with them. Also like, you know, uh, the Bilderberg group and the Illuminati are like one of the same. Um, they're forming a new world order together with the extraterrestrials. Um, they're secretly meddling with us. He, his initial belief in the UFO and alien thing, I think is from where he saw a UFO when he was on a ship. In Vietnam. Um, not, a, not a spaceship. He was on a ship on the ocean, and he saw that UFO go up and down several times, go underwater, come back up, and then um, everyone denied it, and he was told to not talk about it. And I think that kind of kept his interest, and whether he saw a UFO or not, I don't know what he saw, if he saw anything, or he honestly, sometimes I was reading and I'm like, this guy's just making this up. He's just a crazy guy talking and making things up. He's like your drunk uncle at Thanksgiving, just talking about something. He has no idea and just putting it into words. I'm assuming this book was self-published. 
Yeah, it was self-published, and he goes into this thing where you can't actually use a credit card to buy the book because, like, credit is a form of slavery. So you have to send him, like, a check or, like, money order or something or actual cash to, to buy this book. And it seems like it was a fairly successful, like, officially. So you have to do taxes on it. That's why he did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's another point, too, right? Um, but, yeah, I was listening. I've, I've listened to too much of him talking recently, so I know his thinking about things. So he, um, the middle of 1999, he ends up on the Alex Jones show, and they're just talking about, you know, um, one world government and the idea of like big government infringing upon you know everyone's liberties and at the end alex is like how do i get your book and he's just like yeah you know don't use credit card just send me money uh and by the research i've been able to do so officially uh he sold a quarter million copies but unofficially like this thing has been like copied and pasted um so many times it's you know it's been quoted as being like the handbook for the american militia movement in the mid-90s and things like that so it it is a wildly successful book yeah and i can i can see where i could go down that yeah that road too where it's no we're not part of the militia um for the record <laughs> well i don't know are it. you staying at home or not on your holidays tj i think that's a really important thing to discuss i'll gladly stay at, at home <laughs> on holidays because then i don't have to drive in traffic so yeah i'm good <laughs> so i'm the opposite of this <laughs> so next step concentration camp yeah i'm okay with that those fema coffins look pretty comfortable comfy on the youtube video i saw <laughs> another thing that really interested me in the in the book a few of the things, right? There, like I said, I, I skimmed through most of this book, um, especially when he started just reprinting something and then adding his stupid comments to it. Made no sense to me. Uh, but the thing that I found interesting was Mount Weather. Yes, uh, that's kind of cool. Um, it's an interesting concept. I don't think I think it, it does exist, right? That that is a correct thing. There's a Wikipedia entry about it. It, it exists, but not in the way that Bill Cooper said it did. I think it exists in exactly the way Bill Cooper said he did. He just has a completely different interpretation of it. Like it's he, not he a, thinks like, aliens, though, right? I think he thinks that, like at the you know underneath the FEMA stuff. But I mean, so the official thing is it is FEMA's like base camp, basically. You know, okay. so it has so it it does have that, and he has this whole thing that basically you know FEMA's going to be the. Um, when the new world order takes over they're like the police force for the new world order right so they would come in and control everybody anybody who's not listening or is on any of these watch lists so all of us podcasters all go in these camps you know um and then that's where the mount weather operations center is kind of where the the shadow government's running everything from you know and to me at least the it's I mean, you have to have continuity of, of government no matter what. And they've had this for, for years, and some of them have become declassified over the years. Like, um, what was it, Greenbrier, North Carolina, they, they had that cool bunker under there that's now a museum. It was uh, under the hotel where they had a cool bunker, and it was in uh, North Carolina. So people, the senators and stuff, could all go in there and hide out there for a nuclear blast. So I think it's, it's kind of a similar concept uh, where they just have – you know, a safe area that can be, uh, um, they can run a government from should something bad happen. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, but he takes it a step further Mm -hmm. in that there's a whole other government there, the real government, the real president, they're all there. Um, and the, the current, the, the presidents that we see are, are just, uh, puppets that don't really have much control over anything. That's a really interesting perspective. And I think that's where it's sort of, I'm with TJ more so of the idea of like, there are a lot of installations that don't uh, officially uh, have names or purposes uh, 
to the public, but serve other things. And it's a question of like, how deep do you want to get with this? Right? Like I'm definitely not talking about this cause I want to have you on for its own entire episode, but like the Dolce Wars, right? <laughs> here we go robin chris's radar or robin uh <laughs> sam's radar just went right off um, like i'm like yeah but there's a whole thing week, that, right? but i because i definitely think that you uh, like the three of us can break off and do an entire episode i think based on oh yeah everything that was purported to be there but like that's kind of like one of these things is like what but it's those- the same concept and, and allegedly that that's actually deeper into the alien side if we're not saying this exists or not, but hypothetically, if this base existed, because <laughs> um, we'd like Double Dead City con- to continue on and not fall, <laughs> fall into the path of UFO hunters. Um, so, you know, UFO hunters got canceled because they were going to do an episode on Dulce. That's where that whole ca- that's where that whole thing comes okay. from. Yeah, they were going to can't. So I think it's really because they're I, allegedly it's really because their ratings went down so low. So they weren't going to continue. <laughs> on. I believe that. But but the whole theory is around it is that that they started digging into dulce and then they're like okay and then it got canceled like right after they started doing a dulce or investigating a dulce episode that's why that's the whole joke around it uh because i'm a raging narcissist let's bring things back a little bit closer to home uh last week we did our two or we finished a two-parter about the montauk project and you have some kind of feelings about camp hero right so um the the montauk air force base you think that it it actually is a a government installation uh, being used for other purposes well, yeah, but I mean, that, that's that been one of my theories for a while there. And for some reason, I don't know, that giant radar dish is just creepy. And allegedly, you know, it is in a strategic place. It could have just been used for radar dish. But um, I mean, who knows? And nowadays, you still can't get near it. You still can't tour it for safety reasons, right? You know? Well, there is <laughs> so, some people that do uh, some urban exploring in there. I, I put some pictures in the show notes for last week's episode about that. Um, but we did mention last week, you say that that radar is creepy absolutely and apparently it uh it like it moved a few years ago i mean they claim that a that something got loose and it just blew a little bit in the wind but i don't know it seemed to only move a tiny bit you know yeah i Um, I think that's actually the real reason but it's fun to think about it being like some sort of stranger things type thing or or look it's it's waves from back in time moving things now or it's like something out of fringe where there's like two universes at the same time um and like different things are happening. So it's, it is, it is kind of, um, kind of a, a weird place, but I don't think it's anything more than just an abandoned base, but it's fun to think about it being something else. And, um, I'm sure you have your reasons for thinking that, TJ. No, that was just one of my, honestly, it was one of my first kind of core conspiracies that I started going down the rabbit hole, you know, and I think everybody kind of has, just like everybody has their their one or two alien abduction cases that kind of hooks them into that side, I feel like it's the same thing with conspiracies. There's there's yeah, you, know, you never you never forget your first. <laughs> <laughs> when I was uh, sort of like uh, between the ages of like seventeen and twenty two, twenty three, I was really obsessed with number stations, which isn't a conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. It's more of a conspiracy fact, right? So the. Uh, when Angela was talking about the, the dish moving, um, last week, I kind of, um, so there's this one sort of number station that's called the buzzer and it's apparently located in Russia and, um, it gives a continuous kind of noise, but once in a while you get unusual transmissions, right? So it kind of happened, uh, I think in 2010 and then in 2015, I think. Um, so it kind of reminds me of those things where like, it's not business as usual for like a micro fraction of a second. And then, uh, you're back to normal, um, with these like different weird encoded kind of messages. Yeah, I agree. It's one, it's one of those weird things. It's funny. My wife's wanted me to do number stations for a long time. I'm like, there's not really anything mysterious about it, though. They just are, you know, like there's not a whole lot of stuff there. So 
I remember the first time I ever heard one. I've only heard one in my life, but it was a, um, it was Spanish. It was like 3am and it was definitely a series of numbers read in Spanish and then like back to music. It was the creepiest thing I'd ever heard like live. That is uh, really creepy though when you, you, you hear numbers. What were you listening to, Brian, that you heard it? I, I had bought a shortwave radio off of um, Amazon that kind of got a bunch of ranges and I, I kind of had an idea of like where they are, right? So if you go up to 5,000 kilohertz, you can hear like the, there's this um, army base in denver i think and it reads the time and it's like a click but then if you start wandering around you get all this like different kinds of stuff so you get like um the different radios of the world right like different um, broadcast spectrums but then yeah you sometimes just you spend hours just surfing in a clear field away from any like electrical output just trying to find something and it's, it's really weird to hear something that you've you're sort of like sat yourself down and listened to whereas like this is like in the wild it's like catching something like that and it's kind of um super interesting and also like kind of like hair raising because you're part of something and you know what it means yeah especially that you're hearing it live i i kind of remember when i was a kid and we didn't have cable yet so this is a long time ago and we had like a tv an, an old you know with the dials literal dials on it and we'd put it in and sometimes you'd hear like people saying numbers or um, like a phone conversation. I remember this now. It could be just making up memories in my head, but I do remember the stuff like that. Weird stuff you'd pick up over the UHF airwaves. It was always really bizarre. Apparently that used to be a lot of phone calls. Like if you were near... Um, or baby baby monitors too. Okay, so I'm not misremembering. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, you're not crazy. There's, it, it has happened and there's like, um, depending on how close you are, like you were living in an urban setting, I'd imagine, right? So... Yeah, back in, in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of those ranges were sort of shared. I have a few names for you guys. Okay. Stanton Friedman. Yes. John Lear. Yes. William Moore. Yes. John Keel. Yes. Uh, Charles Berlitz. Okay. Bruce Back- Maccabee. Linda Moulton Howe. Philip Klass. J. Allen Hynek. These people. You know who they are? No. CIA they, agents. <laughs> they are all CIA agents, according to... Oh, car- card-carrying CIA agents who uh, self-identified every uh, stop of the CIA world tour. By the way, I thought of Rob, just his head exploding hearing this. It's like all of his idols <laughs> like, you know, in the UFO world. Government like, yeah, they're puppets. All, they're all government puppets, which I'm not saying some of that list I could buy into. You know, uh, I would um, say uh, John Lear, I think, definitely had something going on with uh, the government. His dad more, I think, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. But I, think, I definitely do think that he was looped into some of the stuff. Um, and were he a disinfo agent? I don't know, because he appeared on the scene, what, in the early to mid-90s and had all these fantastical claims about spaceships and things like that, right? Say, so, spe- speaking of a, above top secret, his uh, his stuff on there was Oh, my was God, gold. yeah. I forgot gold. about that. <laughs> I don't even know if you can still find it, but it's definitely, oh, you'll go down rabbit holes for hours. And his interviews on Project Camelot... <laughs> Well, if Brian can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll do some. I'll do some quick research. But yeah, um, I totally forgot. It. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, he got he got banned a couple of times from there. You remember that? Yes, he was fighting with yes. them and all that. And there, there was a whole thing because people basically were like, "You're full of it," and then he would like tell him off and flip out. He's like grumpy old man, you know, the oldest keyboard warrior I know. But yeah, Angela, what do you think about these CIA agents? Like, do you believe that you know? Uh, I I can believe 
that there's some disinfo out there in order to uh, keep narratives going to distract people from like real things of consequence. So the idea of extraterrestrials unto itself may not be real, but the pursuit of it um, fascinates people uh, to uh, such a degree that like perpetuating these kinds of things um, allows people to sort of get distracted. Yeah. Well, if, if so, I didn't mention one name and it was my favorite because it, it, it made me like sit upright in bed when I was reading it because it made me laugh so hard. They're talking about the diaries of, of James Forstall and how they were rewritten and published. And um, it was all rewritten and published by a CIA agent who became a, an author. And the name of the CIA agent, he said it in a, such a, like a, a dramatic, he wrote it so dramatically in the book was Whitley Strieber. Oh, oh, and 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 the book is called Majestic or something. Anyway, I don't know what the book is. I never read it. I just thought it was hilarious because then James Forstall became a victim of this cover up. It's it is. I don't even know what I read uh, most of the time in this book. Really, <laughs> de- it, I will say Forstall's death is something that's really interesting. If you want to do like a mysterious deaths rabbit hole or episode, you know that's a. His death is very free. Can you give us a quick primer on it then in that case? Because I'm not too familiar with that. So I'm super interested. Yeah, I don't remember much about the specifics right off the top of my head. But basically, he was the first Secretary of Defense. And he had, quote, exhaustion after he left office. And that was, I think, Truman kicked him out of office. And then he uh, went to Bethesda, which is notorious in and of itself, <laughs> um, on some of the history and testing and that sort of stuff, if you believe some of those uh tinfoil hat side um but which we're doing this episode obviously yeah i know so if you believe if you want to really go down there then bethesda has a whole nother thing as well too it's kind of the the government cecil hotel you know from <laughs> from the conspiracy <laughs> side there you go well let's just wrap it all together <laughs> oh um, you're you're pulling a william cooper there by the way yeah exactly why not <laughs> might as well <laughs> It's appropriate. Something that I found really interesting, though, is that um, going from like Cooper to both um, David Icke as well as Alex Jones, like he had beef with both of them. He believed that they were both state actors, too. Right. Which I find is like perfectly suitable and suited to uh, talking about conspiracy culture in that like naming other people, obviously, as part of the conspiracy uh, is par for the course. Yeah, and it's funny because I always remember hearing, you know, that Alex Jones is a CIA. Da, da, da. I never knew it came from Cooper, though. <laughs> but it's funny. And I, you always wonder if it's a distraction method, right? Right. Or if it's, oh, this guy's going to ruin my book sales. So let, let me, let me, uh, you know, he's stealing my thunder type of thing. And that's what I felt uh, it was. I think it was almost like a professional jealousy. Like he decided to appear in Alex Jones's uh, radio show, but at the same time, like understood that he was sort of g- uh, getting a lot of ground, especially with the Y2K stuff, right? Like he was selling shelters for Y2K stuff before, like throughout 1999 and, and sort of he learned how to monetize stuff. And I know we're not trying to get too much into Alex Jones, but I, I, you know, his business model is selling all these supplements and things like that. Um, in order to keep this going. And and that's the real game, right? It's not the conspiracy stuff. It's the business side of things, um, which I feel like William Cooper couldn't figure out how to monetize properly. Unless the business side is what's keeping him in production to spread all the truth, right? That's how, that's the other way of looking at it. <laughs> right, of you course. Know, well, sorry, my 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 tinfoil hat fell off. Let me. Yeah, we on. can. Um, and, and I mean, we can we can do high level Alex Jones stuff. I just don't want to get into some. He goes a little too far off the deep end. But that's always been my theory of Alex Jones is that I feel like he's not as crazy as people, as we all think he is. Like, yeah, he's crazy, but he he has to say some, all the stuff we're not talking that are on the blacklist for tonight's episode. You know, right. um, he has to talk about all those theories just so that he can get the other ones that are a little bit more believable out there. I also feel the thing too about him is that he, um, 
like his conclusions may be uh like have a modicum of truth or be like a little bit sound but the way in which he gets to them is like in his very particular conspiratorial way that like really would turn uh the regular person off to what he has to say and then like obviously the conclusion therefore is just as crazy as the rest of the rest of his hypothesis yeah i was gonna break into an impression i just i don't have the energy <laughs> right now <laughs> So we're gonna link. We're gonna go ahead and link to a uh, an interview uh, that Alex Jones and uh, Bill Cooper did in the '90s in the show notes, as well as a uh, a video. And Alex, uh, so Angela watched this video today, and I suggest uh, not looking at the video itself, uh, the description of the comments, but just listen to the audio because mm-hmm. it's this weird schism in between like what Bill Cooper is talking about and what is shown on screen that is untrue, and it's like this really weird thing where they're trying to reframe what he was saying about Alex Jones in like this new unfortunate narrative. Also, if you worry about what your YouTube algorithm is going to show you, <laughs> uh, I would say watch it in incognito mode or in private or whatever. Or yeah, use your use your conspiracy theory alt like account. Clear clear your history. <laughs> yeah, do do not log into uh, YouTube for this because it's going to screw up. I, I as soon as I started watching it, I went back and deleted my that out of my history because I did not want it to like pollute my feed. Also, do not. Under any circumstance, go look at the comments. Please don't do that. Never. Don't do that to yourself. Yeah, they're um, worse. They're very bad. So it, it was really a funny, uh, I guess funny. <laughs> Is that the right word for this? Sure. Uh, Let's use that clip. word. Um, people calling in to Bill Cooper, supporting him, telling them how much they hate Alex Jones. So this is post 9-11, like this is September 2001, um, uh, two months prior to his death. And like a lot of people are saying that he's a martyr because he got shot by the government fighting for what he believed in. And like there's all these other there's a whole set of conspiracy theories around his death. Right. Because of um, how the government acted in the 90s, you know, like in between Ruby Ridge and Waco, et cetera, et cetera, like all of these things um, that go wrong. And so they just believe that this is a continuation of that narrative of a bloodthirsty government going out. And uh, And there's a. there's the theory he predicted 9-11 too, right? Well, yeah. So in June... I mean, not getting too far into it. Yeah, no, no. But, but yeah. I think in it was like it was around June uh, June or July, like right before um, 9-11 happened that he had mentioned that there'd be like an attack. He mentioned Osama bin Laden had vowed yeah, that yeah. They, he would strike. And so like it, it was very interesting that... Um, but that ties into why he was assassinated, quote unquote, or suicided, whatever you want to right. say. Right. Right. Death yeah. by gun. Yeah. Suicide by gun. Um the interesting thing, though, is that he does this thing. Uh, if I remember correctly, he does this thing that a lot of um, very successful conspiracy people do, and that he leaves the door open, right? He doesn't give a date. He just says mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah, he's like a, a cold reader or a, a prophet, such as our friend uh, Nostradamus and John mm-hmm. Hogue. Uh, they always leave the door open uh, with their interpretations about how the future will be, just in case you can kind of guess something will happen. The I told you soul in conspiracy culture is like the biggest, like, and I, pardon the pun, but like the biggest trump card you can use on someone, right? Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing, reading this book and, and going back and seeing all the stuff he was completely wrong about. Uh, he also had some facts wrong. He had mentioned, um, he had some facts wrong in terms of like when he was talking about uh, the fostering of use of firearms for criminals. He said that by this point, we'd have uh, no more guns and things because they would take them all away and it was already starting how there was an incident at a woman's school in Canada uh, which I assume he meant the polytechnic shooting which is not at a woman's school it was a school where women uh, were targeted but um, he got little facts like that wrong which I guess maybe was harder to fact check but if you're writing this in a book and trying to make a point out of it 
a point that critical and um, that important for him, try to get the facts right. So what do you think else he got wrong if it was something, um, just getting the the type of school wrong? Imagine, um, I'm pretty sure he might have been wrong about the aliens. (laughs) What do you mean? You don't think that him and like the aliens and Eisenhower like shook hands uh, in like the 50s together? Like in that scene from Men in Black? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think you bring up a really good point, actually, right? Like the climate in which this book is written, like in the like it was the late 80s, early 90s. I think it came out in 1991, where the idea is that you can't necessarily fact check any of this very easily, right? This is before the advent of the commercial internet, you know, where everyone had access to encyclopedias at their fingertips. So digging and fact checking were a lot harder, right? So it was a lot easier to want to believe a lot of what was in that book because of the fact that like you can't. Uh, contravene it um very easily just empirically yeah i i can picture a bunch of like 30 year old conspiracy theorists reading that thing and nodding vigorously and saying yeah yeah this makes sense yeah sheeple yeah but think about some of the stuff we originally had like before above top secret like bulletin boards and i'm not gonna <laughs> mention some of the other stuff on the air but you know what i mean there was a lot of stuff that that we got into that you know who knows what you know it was probably all made up by some kid in his basement you know it's sort of to fall in line with that there were certain websites i know like primitive web websites that existed that were like supposed repositories for a lot of um guides and things like that mm. if i can be yeah. intentionally vague right where you know you could easily find them but you never knew of like how uh, accurate this kind of stuff was so you never knew whether or not you could trust it yeah I kind of want to rate his book on a scale of um, believability here. Uh, do we want to use like a one to ten scale? Uh, <laughs> Brian, you're good at figuring these things out. What what scale can we use well, for this cause book? Because there's parts that are one and there's parts that are like six. Like I think it depends, you know. Maybe not, but six might be too generous. Yeah, I was about to say like one, one, one to four, <laughs> depending where we're at, right? Uh, Maybe fives in some spots. Okay. All right. I, okay. I like guess if CIA, it's on a right, 10. Let's put it this way. The CIA drug stuff, that's like an eight. Yes. Because that's, yes. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? that, that's like, proven at this point for yeah. sure. Yeah. So there's definitely some stuff. like so, And that's what I'm saying. I think he has some of the Alex Jones syndrome, so to speak, or I guess Alex Jones would have the Bill Cooper syndrome, where it's, you know, yeah, most of it's BS, but there's some spots eh, not so far off, you know? Like, I feel like he touches, like, realms of things that are possible, um, um, that I would agree with, but then he pushes it to such a degree that I want to disagree with him based on principle. Yeah, some of right. the stuff is so laughable, right. like the uh, the Whitley Strieber CIA agent thing. Imagine that's actually true. That'd be pretty funny. But so here's something funny that I found out um, was the Philip Class thing, him being a CIA agent. The thing I when I was doing the research on the Travis case, obviously Philip was one of the biggest, actually pretty much the only kind of proponent or. Um, detractor detractor yeah thank you for the um travis walton case you know he's the the most vocal i should say uh, of that and rumor has it is that he was actually gay and then the government was holding that over him and that's that's why you know and back you know back in the 70s that that wasn't as obviously as accepted as it is nowadays but that that's why they were holding it over him and that's why he was going after some of these cases so hard but he wasn't in the cia well, um, I mean, well, an unwitting, I heard, like, I heard agent. government from a from a pretty reliable source, uh, firsthand actually. Um, so they yeah, they did some more heavier research in there too, as well too. So I don't know necessarily CIA, but definitely alphabet agency. I would say I'd be comfortable saying that. So he got, he got that part right too. 
so yeah everyone's uh, so what do you think of the jfk was assassinated angle oh wait okay now you're gonna get me started on something <laughs> good go ahead okay the, the space aliens thing is ridiculous but the other ridiculous thing with the jfk thing is he was so insistent that the driver turned around and shot kennedy i just think that the whole um the whole kennedy assassination thing with the driver being a shooter is bonkers and dumb now you want to get into it in that um oswald didn't act alone i still i i think he he shot kennedy and that was it right that's that's my take on it i'm i could be wrong whatever but right now that's what the evidence points to for me uh a lot of people have other theories of it but one theory i and i won't shoot those down uh no pun intended like without uh just like that but this one this one's dumb it's really dumb you might as well say that he was he was uh, abducted by aliens and a, a a fake person was put in the car and we just didn't see it okay so hold the phone on that one uh is this a conspiracy theory that we're creating here on the podcast that aliens abducted kennedy froze time froze time took his body up yeah shot another man put him down there and that's why like it was all so rushed the autopsy etc cetera, etc cetera. and the brain is missing yeah there we go huh yeah huh there we go Done. just as valid as anything else we've spoken about tonight except for i agree with tj about the cia stuff like they're very uh dirty people and before i forget i want to say hello uh to echelon prism x key score <laughs> dish fire rip carnivore which ended in 2005 but any of the government organizations uh using these systems listening to us right now yeah hi there's much <laughs> bigger podcasts out there <laughs> that you guys can go listen to as well right after you listen to all the episodes of Double Density. All right. <laughs> bigger fish to fry out there we're nothing <laughs> for sure but i mean like when they're cataloging people right and you want to shove us into this concentration camps they'll definitely oh, yeah, have our names definitely on the list to that. oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure this is they definitely on this. some computer <laughs> hey, does that count as hosting fees no <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's 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 perpetuate this, right? Like JFK in that moment was abducted by aliens, aliens who could travel through time. Let's not forget that part. Um, who could travel through time and freeze time, and they took him away to you know be perhaps a specimen of the human species, and then uh, they took a doppelganger of his, um, put it in the car, and Bing Bang Boom, here we are. And we're all just debating that some other guy shot him or whatever. It's really um, pointless. Yeah, I was I was trying to come up with the serious answer to that question, but I like this way, <laughs> version way. Better. This version's way easier to, to describe, and that's the thing is uh, you can't disprove it. JFK has been that one theory for me that I ref- that kind of got me started on all this. Like, way they even found the above top secret website back in the day was just started looking up stuff about JFK. So I've taken it. You- You've read Jim Mars's Crossfire, then, right? Yeah, there's, there's, and then it went down. Yeah, Jim Mars, which got rest of soul. I mean, he, I love that guy. He was a good, he was a very good researcher. I feel like I want to have you on to review the book Alien Agenda, which is filled with things that have like not come true in the you know intervening like twenty years. But Crossfire is kind of cool in that you read it and he he kind of lays out all of these different paths you can take of like the it's kind of like a do it yourself like JFK assassination theory. <laughs> Yeah, um, and that he's own. like, it's the mob, it's the CIA, it's the FBI. This is why everyone's pissed off at at JFK and his brother. And then what if it's all? What if it's all really connected though? That's the whole thing, you know. Oh, well, it could be too, right? And like, I've seen a, a global unified theory of you know the JFK assassination, where all of these um, parties work in tandem, uh, including uh, somehow like fitting in Fidel Castro into like the table. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like I feel like this has been one of yours too, as far right? Kind of yeah, for sure. We talked about off here. I'm really I, I'm with you on that one, and that like it's one of the most enduring kinds of things, right? Because of the fact that like no matter what, I feel like the government screwed up their messaging with a lot of this, um, mm-hmm. it, which led to like more muddying of a lot of the um, lore surrounding uh, the assassination, and then like the subsequent, I'd say like forty to seventy two after uh, seventy two hours afterwards, and all of this like disappearing evidence and like things like that that definitely like do not help the case for any sort of like degree of cover up. <laughs> double density so what you're saying now is that you would rate the book anywhere from like one to like six or like eight depending on the section right so like a median score of like 4.5 to 5 would be like kind of okay i would say like yeah three probably yeah you know what Um, i'm with you on that one there's like there's like certain specific passages where i'm like yes this is very plausible and then there's uh three extra pages where he goes on and on about a subject where i'm like nope this is not it it's like you see the pretty girl and then she ends up being a really crappy person. So she goes from like, you know, an eight down to a three. You know, it's yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing. Like once you get to know her, you're like, you are just not a worthwhile human being to hang with. Right. Exactly. <laughs> For me, the the crazy so far outweighed any semblance of sanity in the book that um, it can't get past the one because the crazy ends up in like the negative tens. So anything, for example, the MKUltra stuff that the government may have done or is proven to have done, that obviously that's like an eight or a nine because it's it's correct. Although maybe he was just guessing. I do not think he had access to anything. I think he made all that stuff up. Or if anybody gave it to him, they just like, oh, today, this Bill guy is totally bonkers. Let's just give him this crazy stuff and see if he buys it. And he did. But yeah, this stuff is too crazy for me. So yeah, it's definitely just like in terms of rating it for plausibility, it's totally a one. Well, that's the other thing. Like some of those documents that you, that are in there, like we don't know the veracity of them. Like yeah, they look old, but that's about the extent of it. You know, yeah, exactly. Or that that one interview he had in there with uh, the Randy guy on the phone or whatever. Yeah, that was uh, weird. And I read that whole thing because it was really interesting. If it's true, you know, <laughs> but we don't we don't know any of that. And that's where to me, if all that if any of that was proven to be like official document somehow or an official conversation or you could look up that guy's name, which I probably, I mean, you probably could look it all up if I had the inclination to do so. And, and you know, one little piece of that was true, then that would boost the score up. But I think to your point, like we don't know. So I, I'm, I'm in the, like now I'm just thinking if this had come out as a work of fiction, it would be amazing. And this is where I kind of wanted to throw this in, right? Because I want to include a subtitle in this book, right? Based on like the nature of it. So it's like beyond, like behold a pale horse colon a scrapbook of really fun alien and conspiracy memories. Yeah, because in that perspective, it's fun. You know? <laughs> yeah, like more like. And I don't feel crazy reading it because I'm like, oh yeah, it's all just fiction. What yeah, you're still not reading out passages to your wife. Like either way, like that's not the kind of book no, this is. True. I'm not reading it with my kids. Kids, no more holidays for you. Happy yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh God! And I feel like we've just scratched the surface with all this. Really, like we we kind of set out to both talk about the book and use it as a framing narrative for conspiracy culture. But I, I, just a, a final point about that: like we talked about how, like back in the day when this book came out, you couldn't really research things. But now, uh, just as equally insane things exist, and then people sort of nascent 
but there's still like evidence based on that because we're so far down this like weird rabbit hole of like fake news and like uh narratives that kind of like go against our belief system that like any sort of things that are presented as like quote-unquote insane will find an audience despite the fact that like empirically you can kind of say like no this isn't true yeah i'll just say that's how we got our president (laughs) i don't (laughs) i don't care you know what that's Uh, actually like not a a, yeah yeah i'm gonna go with that and i think no matter which side you believe which side of the fence you're on i I think you could agree to that at this point you know and with that i think we are going to close the chapter on one of the most infuriating books i've ever had the displeasure forcing onto other people i'm gonna leave you with a jerry springer thought though final perfect perfect go with it what if bill cooper was actually cia the whole time and this was all a big distraction campaign I love so this it's like, idea. Oh, hey, think about New World Order. So you're not listening to what the aliens are really doing. I love this or so idea. So you're not looking at this other thing, you know? So it's like, let's put out these real crazy ones. So then the more mundane ones, you're like, well, we're not going to believe that because this was so crazy. Like to Angela's point, right? Well, you're yeah, saying it's just like a CIA plot to like kind of like poo poo their own sort of like uh, black ops. Right. They put, they like just put it out there, but say it in the most crazy way possible. Then that way, if it ever comes out, we don't believe it right man that's actually a really good idea i'd i'd love to believe that sadly i know it's probably not true and that this is just the rantings of one man who saw the world in a very different way and decided to create evidence based on how he saw things but i love the idea that he was actually part of a larger framework of uh people and that like the idea is that like bill cooper as a person had like ghost writers writing this book for him which is why it explains like all of like the weird things about it and kind of disjointedness of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm into this. There's like multiple Bill Coopers out there, like a thousand yeah. Bill Coopers and a thousand typewriters. Or he is part of the New World Order, so he's putting this out there to say like completely wrong information. Right. To say, hey, you know, you know, this is our stuff. This is our agenda. Da, 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 da. It's nope, not even close. I actually, uh, that is a second conspiracy theory born here. Well, not necessarily born here. I'd imagine it's elsewhere, but like that we're propagating here in double density. The first one is the JFK alien people. And now we have uh, <laughs> Bill Cooper colon uh, mega CIA agent. Hey, you never know. And that's why they had to kill him. Right. Yeah. He knew too much. He hit it, he, and then he got either uncontrollable or he hit a nerve the wrong way. He wanted, you went, went off the script. He <laughs> wanted bigger checks and they wouldn't supply that with him or that too. <laughs> TJ, it's so, been a pleasure having you on. This has been like one of the most fascinating conversations about conspiracy culture I've ever had. Uh, I think yeah, I just thanks. cut Angela off too. So go ahead, Angela. I was going to say before we go, uh, where can we find you on the internet, uh, TJ? So right now it's uh, at Pints and Puzzles or at Attic Notes Pod. Those are my two podcasts right now. Um, Pints and Puzzles is currently on hold, but it's I swear it's not as crazy as this episode was <laughs> uh, on a normal basis. But this is actually fun and quite honestly kind of cathartic uh, to uh, kind of come on and, and talk a little more tinfoil hat that, that I wouldn't necessarily fit into as a uh, single host narrative, I guess. So that's on there as well. Uh, and then I'm launching a new podcast completely unrelated to tech, paranormal, or conspiracies uh, that's called Notes from the Attic as well too and that'll be coming out this summer but the trailer is up on itunes now too so i will shamelessly plug that and thank you guys for allowing me to do that and thanks for having me on too i know it's uh it's a little different but this has been a lot of fun you know we've been kind of um friends for a long time so it's fun to kind of quote unquote meet and hang out for a little bit you know (laughs) yeah we've talked so many times uh through twitter messages um and that says a lot of the world this today we feel like we're friends from just 
typing to each other. It's like pen pals almost. Yeah. And this is uh, the first two hours or so we've uh, spoken. Yeah. And what a two hours it's been. I think I want to echo TJ's sentiment of like this being like probably the craziest uh, narratively, uh, at least, like the craziest episode of Double Density so far. Yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, so this too. is your first episode. I swear, this Double Density is not like this. The rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sometimes fun to get loosey goosey with it. Like, I definitely agree that like um, Angela and I try to uh, not necessarily show more restraint, but we definitely like keep our tinfoil hats like in the drawer a lot more than this episode because mm-hmm. sometimes it's just fun to talk about things like, oh, what oh, if yeah. aliens, you know, really did shake Eisenhower's hand, like all these like different government facilities, et cetera, et cetera. And so like, I'm, I'm completely fine with kind of straying with that, you know, and given like it, it totally it's, it's been fun in a weird yeah. kind of way. Yeah. And totally hypothetical too. So nobody, yes. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to add, we've had the, the promo play for uh, TJ's new upcoming podcast in this episode and uh, definitely subscribe to both his podcasts on iTunes and rate and I'll do that and do all that fun stuff. Which, uh, Brian, so far we still haven't had that many new um, actual reviews go up. Uh, Our social experiment is not working. I believe this is a disinformation campaign by the government keeping people from actually submitting reviews uh, to the show. But uh, that is something that we should talk about off the air together as a group. Uh, I do think that, you know, there are certain uh, parties, uh, especially uh, those in power that are keeping us down. And one of the ways in which they keep us down is through uh, the uh, deletion of potential iTunes reviews. I bet you it's lore. It's it's a lore podcast. (laughs) But yeah, TJ, I would love to have you on to continue to talk about more of this stuff. Maybe that's the thing is like episodes with TJ is like the loosey goosey episodes, like the feel good episode of the year. <laughs> Great. You know, so I'm, I'm scrapbook of alien memories. I'm going to be the yeah. crazy, the batch crazy uncle that comes for, <laughs> comes in for holidays. Right. Well, that's fine. But you fix your tie up and you put out your regular podcast, right? Like that's kind of like the, the MO that you got going on. Uh, yeah, the tie's not too tight on, on pints and puzzles, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's more business casual on pints and puzzles. I will say notes from the attic is more serious though. I, it is just based on content. I do have to say that like one of the most poignant things I've listened to all year is that your Mr. Rogers episode, which I implore everyone to go listen to. It's, it's what it's like 10 <laughs> minutes. It's like, it's such a fine yeah. piece of like, uh, like honest, like not necessarily feel good, but like kind of like, like empathetic kind of like podcasting that I've heard all year. So I feel like if you kind of need to, to sort of think about things in a positive light, like definitely go check out that episode. I would recommend listening to it after hearing this because you might need it. <laughs> You're going to need a little <laughs> mental break for after this too. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for plugging that one too. That, that was actually completely not related to pints or puzzles, but right, it was but- just one that like, I just felt the need to write. And just but I also feel like it, it was completely TJ. So it was like, it was kind of on brand in from like a yeah. TJ perspective. So I was like totally fine with that. Yeah. It had just a little bit of everything in there, but you know, I feel like everybody needs a little kick in the butt nowadays, especially yeah. down the, the Southern borders for you guys. <laughs> so that we're going to close things down for episode 48 of the double density podcast. Tune in next week as we go deep into the desert reemerged covered in the blood of our enemies as victors of a strange underground fighting lead with a surprising origin story. Uh, TJ, Angelo, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I'll see you around. See ya. See ya. Thanks, guys. Also, I forgot to plug our socials, so I'm going to do that right now. Facebook.com slash Double Density Podcast. <laughs> Same thing on Instagram. You can find us over at Twitter at Double underscore Density, or you can head over to DoubleDensity.net to check out all of our newest episodes as well as blogs and uh, ways to contact us. So I implore you as a final note to go do that.
Greetings, cyberspace. Oh, sorry, oh, all right. I was going to jump right into that, guys. Yeah, that's going on. That, that's going on the blooper reel.